Okay, so here's our big idea today. And just as a warning, it might sting a little, okay? Here it goes. Contentment comes not from a change of circumstances, but from a change of heart. Ouch. That does sting, right? Contentment comes not from a change of circumstances, but from a change of heart. That really stings. Because if you're like me, you have fallen for the lie that true happiness and contentment can only be achieved if our circumstances changed. And not just changed, we want our circumstances to be changed for the better. And not just better, we want God to give us everything that we want yesterday. We think that we'll be content if God would just give us what we want. After all, we know what will make us truly happy, right? What does God know? Uh, everything. <laughs> I was struck the past two weeks about how prideful I am in thinking that I know what is best for me, as if I know better than God. Now, I'm honest enough to admit that I do sometimes think that I know what's best for me. I have all of these wonderful plans for my life. Doesn't God know that? Does he know just how awesome my plan for my life is? He does. He knows. But I don't think that he thinks that my plan is an awesome plan. And so I'm the idiot that is still learning that God has the best plans for my life. And so I was gently rebuked over the past few weeks by the Holy Spirit with just how prideful I can be when I lay out my plans for my life. Now, not only does God have the best plans for my life, he, He's surprisingly even willing to listen to me rant on and on about my so-called wonderful plans for my life. He actually listens to me as I pour my heart out to him and tell him what I want. How kind and patient God is with all of us. And sometimes God does answer me specifically about my prayers. He, the most wise and intelligent being in the universe still listens to my silly plans. That's humbling. And when I fall into despair and discontentment, when I don't get my way, the Holy Spirit loves me enough to content me, uh, to uh, convict me and to gently slap me back to reality. I do appreciate that about the Spirit, even though it stings. And so here's the truth. We've all fallen prey to the lie of the devil, and it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the lie that if we could just get what we want, then we would finally be happy. And that's just not true. But we all still cling to it at times in our lives, don't we? We think we'll finally be happy, finally be content, if God would just change our circumstances and just give us what we want. Ouch, this sermon stings already. We're only a couple minutes into it. We're just a few minutes into this sermon, and it's like waking up in the middle of heart surgery. Well, while we're at it, let's take another hit to the arm. Let's take another slug to the arm, shall we? Since, since we're just kind of beating ourselves up this morning. 
Jeremiah Burroughs was a Puritan pastor who was born in 1599. He died in 1646. And he said this in his book, which is a great title. It's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. It is a rare jewel, isn't it? Contentment. He said this. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposition in every condition. Wow. I don't know about you, but I'm convicted. And based on that definition, I'm not sure I've ever been content in my life. That's not how most of us would describe our lives. A sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, freely submitting to and delighting in God's wise and fatherly disposition in every condition. Man, who knew that contentment could be so hard? Now, of course, we need to understand that it's not wrong to petition the Lord to change our circumstances. We can do that and still be content. We can pray for things to change while at the same time praying that we would be content. So let me encourage you, pour your heart out to Jesus. Tell him what you want. Tell him how you want things to to change. And then trust him with how it all works out. Being content doesn't mean that we can't pray. doesn't mean we can't pray about our circumstances. So I felt that today we should just kind of slam on the brakes and just spend some time with verse 8 in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Turn, turn there in your Bibles if you haven't. Because we obviously need help. We need to confront our discontent. We need to open up to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to speak to us and to welcome Him to press on those tender places in our hearts where we aren't content so that we can be changed and transformed. Listen, we don't want to stay in a place of discontentment, do we? Because if we allow discontentment to remain and to reign in our hearts, number one, it'll poison us. Number two, it will steal our joy. Number three, it will paralyze us. And then number four, it will make us a miserable person to be around. So at least for the sake of your neighbors, learn to be content, right? That's why we need the Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts so that we aren't people like that. So let's welcome the Holy Spirit to push on this bruise again, okay? You ready? Here it is again. Contentment comes not from a change of circumstances, but from a change of heart. Still stings, doesn't it? Still tender. And you thought 2 Corinthians chapter 9 was all about money? It's about loving and caring for people, and it's also about learning to be Content. Now let me show you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verse 8 and hear the word of the Lord. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. 
And God is able. That's it. That's the tweet right there. That's the promise. And that's the only way that we will ever be content. It's only by God's grace. And so those four words at the beginning of verse 8 can put wind in your sails and, and reassure your heart this morning. Those four words can give you a steel spine as you face an unknown future and maybe as you face a miserable present existence. And those four words just might make you also want to drop some money in the offering boxes on your way out. That phrase in Greek is literally, and God has the power. It's it's emphatic. In Greek, it's power, God, all grace. Power, God, all grace. Able, God, all grace. The emphasis here is on God's power, on his ability to make all grace abound and overflow to us. And we need that reminder, don't we? God has the power to change us. We don't. God is able to make all grace abound to us. And that's a promise. And it's available. And it's free for all of us here today. It's free. If we're willing to let the Holy Spirit walk around in our hearts and point out some areas that need work. As we prayed before this, Our prayer of confession is that, you know, it's hard to even admit. It's hard to even pray, Lord, make me content. It's like, oh, I take those words back because I don't really want you to. I just want you to change my circumstances. I don't really want you to change my heart. So we have to be willing to say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to pray this. Make me content by your power. And here's what's so fascinating. The word sufficiency in verse 8 actually means contentment. That's fascinating. You might have a footnote in your Bible that highlights this. It's the Greek word autarkase. It's the same word that Paul uses in that famous passage that we'll see uh, later on in our series in 2 Corinthians in chapter 12 where God told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. It's the same word here in verse 8. It means that God's grace is enough. It's enough to sustain and change Paul. So in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul wanted his circumstances to be changed. He wanted the thorn in the flesh to be taken away. But God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you. So it's as if God told Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, my grace will content you. And that's what Paul is telling the Corinthians in verse 8 here. God's grace can content them. God's grace can content them in all things, all situations, all circumstances, all everything. And who wouldn't want to have all contentment in all things at all times? That's my, really, that's my, my, my real true dream life right there. That's what I really want. Because I'm tired of being a miserable person. And so is my family. That's my real dream life right there. It's what I really long for. I want to have all contentment in all things at all times. Isn't that what you want? By the way, Paul uses the word content in Philippians 4. We read it earlier. Um, Paul said that he learned the secret of being content. Okay, Paul had to learn how to become a content person, which means we're in that process too, and there's hope 
for us. We have to learn it. And God is able to do it. He has the power to do it because God is the most content person in the universe. That's where our contentment has to start, with God. He has the power and the ability to make us content in our circumstances because he is the most content person in the universe. He is content within himself. And if we're willing to get low enough and die to that sweet designer life that we have crafted in our heads... It can happen. If we're willing to trust that Jesus knows what he is doing in our lives, then we can have all contentment in all things at all times. But we have to be willing to let go of that fantasy life that we have dreamed up for ourselves that if I just had that, then I'd be happy. We've got to be willing to let go of that fantasy life and allow the Spirit to work in our hearts. And it's hard to let go of that fantasy designer life, isn't it? That's why Paul says in verse 8 that grace is available to us. Power is available to us. That's why he says that God is able to make grace overflow in our lives. Because there's no way that we will ever part with our fantasy lives unless God empowers us. By his grace. There's no way that we'll have contentment in all things at all times unless the Spirit does work in our hearts. We cannot do this in our own strength. We simply do not have the ability to pull it off. We are that weak. And that's why Paul says, and God is able. Because only God can change our hearts. He is able to make us content. So if you're not content with where you are in life, you're not content about something in your life, the Holy Spirit is able to make you content. His grace is able to transform your heart. But you have to ask Him and you have to humble yourself. Understand this. Grace doesn't come to make us comfortable or to give us what we want, or to prop up our desires, or to reinforce our fantasy life. Grace comes to win our hearts. Grace wars tirelessly for rulership in our hearts. Now, if you're like me, we often want relief, don't we? We want relief from our trials. We want relief from our hardships. We want relief from our struggles. We want relief from our circumstances. But that's not how grace works. Grace is not necessarily interested in our relief. Grace is more interested in our refinement, our transformation, becoming more like Christ. Paul Tripp has been very helpful to me here, even though I still struggle with what he says. I don't really like what I'm about to read to you, okay? Even though I know it's true. I really don't like Paul Tripp's words. In fact, if I saw him, I'd like to slug him in the arm because of these words. Let me read them, and then maybe you won't like Paul Tripp anymore, too. It's a lengthy quote, so stay with me, but you'll love it and you'll hate it, okay? Here's what Paul Tripp says. So God, in the grandeur and glory of his relentless love, 
will boil you. Here's the principle. God will take you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. You know what that's called? Grace. God knows how sturdy our self-righteousness is. He knows how reliant we are on our own strength and wisdom. He knows how attracted we are to the things of the world. He knows how easily satisfied we are thinking we're grace graduates when we're not. He knows how much we are able to shift the blame and make excuses, how much we are able to swindle ourselves. And so, in grace, he will take us beyond our wisdom, beyond our strength, beyond our plan, beyond our righteousness, to places we would not have ever chosen to go so that we do the thing that we desperately need to do. We reach out in hands of helplessness and hope, and we say, I need your grace. Because grace is only for the broken. Grace is only for the weak. Grace is only for the poor. Grace is only for the diseased. Grace is only for sinners. And unless you're there, you don't desire grace. And God wants you there. He wants you there. And those moments of desperation are not God forgetting the plan or God ignoring the plan or something in the way of the plan. Those moments of desperation are the plan. So, brothers and sisters, we better quit naming those moments as signs of God's unfaithfulness and inattention because if you're God's child, those moments are sure signs of his covenant love. That's not God moving away. That is a glorious, faithful, ever-present Redeemer moving closer. We need to begin to teach and encourage one another with the theology of uncomfortable grace. Did you hear what I said? We need to teach and admonish and encourage and comfort one another with the theology of uncomfortable grace because this side of eternity, God's grace often comes to us in uncomfortable forms. Oh, I know because I'm like you. You want the grace of release. You want the grace of relief. And those come in little pieces. But ultimately, hear what I'm going to say, Release is coming, relief is coming, but what you actually need right now is refinement. That's what you need, that's what I need. And perhaps if there are moments in your life where you're crying out, where is the grace of God? And you're getting it, but it's not the grace of release, and it's not the grace of relief, it's the uncomfortable grace of refinement. You already are getting the grace that you're crying out for. Ouch! Do you see now why I'd like to have a few words with Mr. Tripp? I'd like to rip that mustache off his face. I told you I don't like those words. I don't like them at all. But I believe them. I'll be honest, most of the time, read all of the time, I just want relief. I just want Release, but what I really need is the transforming grace of refinement. And I'm thankful that God is able to do it 
because there's no way I could pull this off on my own. And so this is the all grace that Paul is talking about in verse 8. It's a grace that comes not to confirm and reinforce some fantasy life that you want so desperately and that you dream about and that your, your brain just goes to automatically when you're at a stoplight. Your brain goes to this fantasy life. If you could just have, then you'd be happy doesn't come to confirm that. It's a power from Almighty God that can transform you in the middle of your struggle and in the middle of your pain and in the middle of your sorrow and in the middle of your whining and in the middle of your bitterness and in the middle of your pity party. And back to the context of 2 Corinthians 9, if we want to be disciples and we want to be a church family that is big-hearted and open-handed with our money and with our time and with our hearts, then we have a promise in God's Word that He is able to make us that kind of church and those kind of disciples. If we want to become a people who, like Paul, have learned the secret of being content in all circumstances then we need to be reminded that God is able to do that for us. We need to remind ourselves of this promise in verse 8. And we need to remind ourselves often that contentment comes not from a change of circumstances, but from a change of heart. Raymond Brown says, Covetousness is born of doubt. Contentment is the child of faith. It has not come suddenly, it is a habit of mind and can best be acquired by constantly reminding ourselves of God's fatherly provision and his generous promises. If we doubt God's goodness and we doubt his provision, it will cause our hearts to give birth to covetousness. We'll crave and desire and long for and obsess over things that we don't have and we'll end up ignoring all the blessings that we do have. Doubt gives birth to covetousness. That's an interesting thought. But faith gives birth to contentment. Trust gives birth to contentment. But you and I know contentment doesn't come suddenly. It comes it's a habit of mind. It's a way of thinking. We have to constantly remind ourselves that our Heavenly Father knows what is best for us. It comes as we repeatedly feed on the promises of God and His Word by faith. And when we feed on the promises of God and when we focus on all that we do have in Christ, it will give birth to contentment. When we constantly remind ourselves of God's fatherly provision and all of his generous promises, we will become a content people. And then we won't worry about money. And therefore, we'll be big-hearted and open-handed. So Paul is reminding the Corinthians that they don't have to fear what might happen if they give away their money because God is able to make all grace abound to them. In Greek, this word able, I mentioned earlier, is placed at the beginning of the sentence for emphasis. It's able God is or power God is. That's how it is in Greek. The Greek, and when you read it, it sounds like it comes straight from a Star Wars movie with the ever-wise Jedi Master Yoda saying, able God is. 
power God is. That's what it says in the original Greek. It's like Yoda. The verb comes first for emphasis. The biblical languages are like that. They don't play by the rules of English, the English language. They can move verbs and subjects and direct objects all around for emphasis. So if you like Star Wars and if you like the way Master Yoda speaks, then you might give Greek or Hebrew a shot. Able God is. Power God is. He is able to make his grace abound to you in whatever situation you are in right now. He is able to make his grace abound to you. The word abound we've seen before in this chapter a lot. It means to overflow the set boundaries. Like your morning cup of coffee has a set boundary. Your cup has a boundary. It can only hold so much coffee before it overflows the boundary. And that's the idea here. God is able to make his grace, his power, overflow and flood every nook and cranny of your life. Everywhere that you need contentment. And then we see the purpose of his enabling grace in verse 8. Look at verse 8. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. It's the word contentment. God is able to make his grace abound to you so that you're content with all that you have and all the circumstances that you find yourself in so that you can abound or overflow the set boundaries in all kinds of good work for others. Wow. Okay, let's break down Paul's train of thought here because it could change how we view money and material things and time and resources and ministry. Here's what Paul says. Number one, God is able to make his grace overflow so much in your life that two, you will become content in all things at all times so that, number three, there's the purpose clause, so that you overflow with good works. That's Christianity 101 right there. God does an overflowing work of grace in your life so that you become content and then you overflow and work for the good of others and you start looking around for someone to bless, someone to serve, someone to love and care for instead of just obsessing on how miserable you are in your life. It's like the Corinthians caring for the Jerusalem church that they're taking the offering up for, being content and saying, let's help them out. God is able to make you so content so that you don't obsess over changing your circumstances and instead you begin to focus on other people and how you can minister to them. Now let me say that again because I don't like these words that I typed up either, okay? I should have deleted them, right? God is able to make, let's make it plural, God is able to make us so content so that we don't obsess over changing our circumstances and instead we begin to focus on other people and how we can minister to them. Because when we're not content, we focus on us. But when we are content, we begin to focus on others. I think the Apostle Paul would like the Westminster Shorter Catechism Question 80 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is very instructive, and it goes right along with what Paul is saying here. It says this, what is required in the 10th commandment? The 10th commandment requireth full contentment with our condition, with a right and charitable frame of spirit toward our neighbor in all 
that is his. That's just 2 Corinthians 9, 8 stuff right there. Remember, contentment comes not from a change of circumstances, but from a change of heart. Jedi Master Yoda would say it this way, not from change of circumstances contentment comes, but from change of heart. You need some help with contentment today? Eric Raymond has written a great book called Chasing Contentment. I encourage you to get it. It's, ugh, I've been reading it and it's been taking me to the woodshed, okay? <laughs> and I need it. Here's what he says. And he's really just kind of breaking down Jeremiah's uh, Burroughs book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. He's taking that Puritan language and putting it in our language. So you can read both, but I recommend Eric Raymond's Chasing Contentment. He says this, Contentment is the abiding amen of our joy. It speaks in the present tense, saying, I am tasting and I am seeing that the Lord is good. The heart of the matter is that when we ourselves determine what will satisfy, we don't pursue what brings true satisfaction. The broken compass within us always leads to the dumpster rather than the five-star restaurant. Contentment is in the present tense saying, you know what? No matter what's happening in my life today, I am tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. How foolish we are when we place our delight and satisfaction in temporary things, even good things. How silly of us to turn and long for material things to satisfy us. We know that nothing in this world will truly satisfy us like Jesus, right? We know that. So today, let's once again, present tense, taste and see that the Lord is good. And we know that He is good Because God cheerfully gave us his son Jesus who died for our sins. He died for our discontentment. He died for our whining. He died for our mumbling and grumbling and complaining. He died for our covetousness. He died for our pity parties. He died for our repeated trips to the dumpsters of this world where we seek satisfaction. And now, because of what Jesus has done for us, we can now, today, taste and see that the Lord is good. Look, you can get a fresh start today. If you've been miserable, whining, pity party, haven't been content with your life, you've just been dreaming of this fantasy life, longing for changed circumstances, you can start over fresh today. I said to two of my girls last night, as I put them to bed, who wants a fresh start? Two hands went up in the air. I said, you know what, girls? His mercies are new every morning. We fought, we bickered, all of us all day. And I said, you know what? We get a fresh start. Would you like a fresh start today? You can have that. You can taste and see that the Lord is good. Present tense. Today, right now. We can feast on all that Jesus is for us. We can eat from the bread of life. We can drink from the fountain of living water. We can eat and eat and eat and drink and drink and drink and be satisfied. We can eat and eat and eat and drink and drink and drink and then eventually come up for air and just go, ah, and that is worship right there. 
drinking and drinking and drinking in God's grace and just coming up for air every once in a while and saying, ah, so refreshing. That's worship. That's contentment. That's 2 Corinthians 9.8. That is all grace abounding to you so that you have all contentment in all things at all times. We sang it earlier, and here it is in my notes. May the Spirit of God open our eyes to see Jesus as the greatest pleasure. We didn't plan that. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord, to see Jesus as the greatest pleasure, the supreme delight of our souls that we were made to enjoy. May we taste again, present tense, that the Lord is good. Because that's the only way we're going to break up with our idols. That's the only way we're going to give up this fantasy life that we long for. It's the only way that we become content. In order to dump our idols and give up this fantasy life that we want and become content, we have to see Jesus and love him anew. Listen, the very best thing that could happen to us today, us miserable people who are not content the best thing that can happen to us today is to be alive once again to the sweetness and the goodness of God. To be awakened again to His glory as our joy. To taste and see again that He is good. Not that our fantasy life is good. Not that our changed circumstances is good, but tasting and seeing that He is good. So let's get after it, shall we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, growth in contentment is growth in Your grace. And so we ask You to supersize the chambers of our hearts to receive more of your grace. Rescue us from our pathetically small notions of your love and your goodness. Free us from the stranglehold of our unbelief. Lord, that is revealed in us because we fear even praying for contentment. So liberate us for being not just satisfied in Christ, but overwhelmed, smitten, and in awe of every good thing you have given us in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.